few weeks we've been doing a series called Shift, and we've been talking about how Jesus wants to move us out of our superficial, short-term thinking, sometimes very selfish and, and very uh, egocentric, and he's calling us into this world where the heart of God reigns. Um, he's trying to open our eyes to see the kingdom of God around us, and he uses stories to do that. He uses parables. Well, I don't know if you're interested, but uh, I'm interested in funny little things I see on the internet. You probably are too. Um, I saw this one today. It's a website. It's called the Wacky Labels Contest. And every year they have a contest to see who can turn in a photograph of the funniest warning label on a product. Because apparently we are fearful people. We're afraid that even crazy, absurd, ridiculous things might happen with the use of And companies are very afraid that they're going to get sued. So we end up with this, this assortment of really interesting warning labels. Um, some of the past winners include, this was on a baby stroller, warning, please remove Remove child before folding. Right. Before you fold that baby up, put it in your trunk, remove the child. That's just common. I mean, that's good. That's good to know. Good to know. Or may cause drowsiness, which was on a bottle of Nitol one a night sleeping aids. May cause drowsiness. The 2012 grand prize winner is it's a seven inch decorative globe that has the following warning label These globes should not be referred to for navigation. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Don't use that on your car trip across the country. Navigate. All right. Second prize winner was an electric razor for men, which had this warning, never use while sleeping. <laughs> I know to save time, some of you guys shave while you're sleeping. Don't do it with this product. Right. Oh, I love this one too. A kitchen griddle, okay? I love those, by the way. Great for bacon. Warning, griddle surface may become hot during and after cooking. Or, this one's pretty good, a children's neck pillow that has this warning, keep product away from infants and children. <laughs> yeah, because that, I mean, no kid is going to want to hang out with a pillow like that. I mean, come on, that's totally an adult thing, right? Kind of, kind of silly, kind of absurd, but maybe kind of speaks to the fearful culture that we live in. Certainly speaks to the litigious uh, culture we live in where, where companies are afraid of getting sued. But there is a lot of fear out there. If you kind of go through the Gospels and, in fact, the entire New Testament and kind of think, where is God speaking against fear? I believe you will see it all over the place. There were apparently a lot of gun-shy, um, timid, jittery God followers in the New Testament. And so much of the time, Jesus is kind of stiff-arming that kind of religion and bringing us back to the bold, courageous, creative, free, abundant life that God is calling us into, all right? Like when Paul writes to the Colossians, they were hearing a lot of teaching about don't do this, don't do that. And Paul says, really, you guys are listening to this? It says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, so then if with Christ you've put all that pretentious 
and infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think things like that are here today and gone tomorrow? You think they're worth that kind of attention? You think religion with all of those warning labels is really what God is after? Well, in the middle of, of Jesus' ministry, you see him all the time confronting this timid, fearful, small approach to faith. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So just taking a walk through some fields on the Sabbath day, his disciples were hungry. They wanted a snack. They began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Rule breakers. Or how about Matthew chapter 15, verse 2? Why, Jesus, do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. This is the kind of stuff people were concerned about back then, all right? And then even uh, more ridiculous is like Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are like, gotcha! You healed on the Sabbath! Not supposed to do that! You broke the rule! Paul writes Timothy, this young evangelist, about this intimidated, jittery, fearful kind of religion. He says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, he writes, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of what? Power. That's right, Pam. A spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So behind warning labels and rules, there is a reality that many of us are fearful, fearful people. And clearly in the Gospels, we, bring the, we see that we bring those fears into our religion, into our walk with God. We project our insecurities and our fears on God. And Jesus is constantly calling us into this new free life. Um, now, what happens when you live kind of this fear-based life, the ROI, the return on investment, is inevitably regrets. Because you're living in this safe, cautious approach to life, to everything, worried that you might break a rule, st sticking warning labels on everything, and you end up thinking, man, I could have done that. I could have dreamt this. I could have spoken to this person. I could have achieved this. I could have gone after, the, after that, but I didn't. And so you're left with regrets. This is a great turning point as we begin a new year. Think about regrets of the past that you want to bury and think about the future that God is calling you into. Let's watch a short video before we go into Matthew chapter 25 this morning.
Okay. We're just a couple of days away from January 1. I like that. I like New Year's. Fresh start. New beginning. So, what habits do you want to start this year and continue this year? What habits do you want to break this year? Um, what is God calling you to be? Where have you been living cautiously, carefully, and not embracing the adventure of God in your life? Where is that? I believe that Matthew chapter 25 is one of these stories that Jesus uses that's powerful because it, it basically gives us a toolbox to experience um, more of what God has for us and to leave that old, timid, mediocre life behind. Let's go. Matthew chapter 25. I'll be reading from the message today, which is sort of a different sounding translation, but I think it really catches the essence of this story. It, he's talking about the kingdom of God. It is like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 To a third, 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. So as Jesus opens up this, this story to make us think, the question that it begs is, whose money is this anyway? Right? I think the question Jesus wants us to ask Whose stuff are we using? Well, it's my stuff. It's my money. It's my car. It's my wife, my kids, my life. Jesus says, not so fast there. Really, all that you have, all of the good things, the opportunities, the network of relationships, of friendships, your husband, your children, your house, your car, your job, your health, all of this God has given to you. You have it on loan from God. Now, you're not going to keep it. No one gets to carry this stuff beyond the grave. Every relationship goes back to God. Every person you care about goes back to God. Every dollar that you have now goes back to God. Everything goes back to God. But He, in His in His generosity and his big-heartedness has blessed us with his stuff. And just because, it says he goes off on an extended trip here, just because you've had 20, 30, 40 years with this stuff doesn't mean you get to keep it forever. Because at some point, the master in the story returns from the trip. But verse 16... So he's given, he's divided up his wealth and responsibilities. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. Not too shabby. Second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. Now let me be, I guess, Captain Obvious here. This is not a parable about the Messiah's tips for investment, all right? This is not stock tips from, from the Savior. This is not really a story about 
money. This is a story about all that we have and how we use it. This is really even deeper than that, a story about how different people choose to live their lives. Some people choose to take risks. Some people so secure in the love of God and the grace of God live boldly, live dangerously, embrace the kingdom, and leverage everything they have for the glory of God. Others attach warning labels to all of it. Don't touch, don't taste, be careful. Who knows what's going to happen? Better to be safe than sorry. And clearly, Jesus is calling us into one, but not the other, ways of living. Verse 19, after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commanded him, good work. You did your job well. From now on, you will be my partner. So God isn't, despite the fact that you may enjoy things that you have for years, decades, God is not this absent-minded investor who has just forgotten about it, hasn't forgotten about the wife he's given you, about the relationships he's given you, about the job he's given you, about the money he's given you. He hasn't forgotten about that. Jesus says, even though it's his stuff and you have enjoyed it for a long time, you need to remember he will I don't like this word. You don't like this word, but he will audit you at some point because it is his stuff. And he wants to know that what he has allowed you to use has been used well, that you have done a good job. How did you do with that young woman I brought into your life when you were 20 years old and you guys got married? How did you do with that? How did you do with those three kids that I put under your roof to raise? How did you do with that job opportunity, with that mission opportunity, with that ministry opportunity? How did you do with the stuff I gave you? Well, I like this first one. Servant number one doubles her investment, and the master says, well done, be my partner. Verse 22, servant with 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. The master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, you will be my partner. Now things change, right? Verse 24, the servant given 1,000 said, Master, oh, I know you have high standards. I know you hate careless ways. I know you demand the best, and you make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Let's be honest. The guy's trying to please his master. He's trying to do the right thing. The problem is he just doesn't know his master all that well. He's made some assumptions about his master that just are not True. He sees his master as as a nitpicker. He thought the worst thing he could do was make a mistake. The worst thing he could do with his master's stuff was take a risk. And so his motivation was fear. He saw warning labels over every dollar he had received Warning labels attached to every responsibility he had been given. 
And so he played it safe, or so he thought. Verse 26, wasn't so safe after all. The master was, Jesus says, furious. That is a terrible way to live. It is criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers. At least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. So Jesus says, yes, there is one warning label you need. There is one thing you do need to be afraid of, and that is living fearfully. That is living so cautiously that you end up regretting not taking those opportunities, not taking the chance, not leveraging what God gave you, living so cautiously that you do not show a return on the investment that he has made in you. Right? So in the story, the servant who risked the most, the servant who was most bold, who took chances, that servant and the second servant end up with a pat on the back, end up with a great job, end up with an invitation to be partners with the master. And the servant who was careful and cautious and afraid, that servant gets fired and gets escorted out of the building, right? Cast into outer darkness. Don't want to see you around here any more. So what about you? 2012, for all practical purposes, is over. The Mayans were wrong, by the way. Don't be sad. It's not the end of the world. What are you going to do with 2013? What are you going to do? And you may have some specific challenges, some goals for your, for your health, um, for, your, for other areas of your life, your spiritual walk, whatever. I have three challenges that I believe you can be sure are challenges that would make God stand up and clap. Three challenges that you can be sure would get his arm around your back saying, good job. One challenge I have for you in 2013 that I want you to seriously think about and act on is the challenge to share your faith. Share your faith. You see, sharing your faith, sharing what God has done in your life with someone who doesn't know Jesus, that is not a ministry for a few people. That is a mission for all of God's people. And there are ministries that you may not be cut out for. Maybe you're not cut out for teaching in the nursery. Maybe you're not cut out for, for you know, you, you name it, painting a house or something like that. Some people just can't paint, all right? But sharing your faith, that is a ministry God wants you to be about if you wear the name of Christ. Now, let me tell you, let's, let, let, let me tell you what this is, and it's not hard. You may think it's terrifying, and it's hard, and it's awful, and you can never do it. It's really not that hard. Think about three things here. One of them is this. One of them is to pray. Pray for your coworker. 
Pray for your in-law. Pray for your neighbor that doesn't know the Lord. Pray by name. Bring those names before the Father. Just pray for them. The other thing I want you to do is to practice sharing your story. Not the 45-minute version of your story. Practice sharing the three-minute version of your story or the two-minute. This is what God has done in my life. This is me before. This is me after. Practice that. I don't know if you remember this, Isla, but one year in our campus ministry up at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma University, one year we had an amazing year in terms of, of evangelism. We had 36 people put on Christ, make the decision to follow Christ and be baptized into Christ. 36 college students one year. It was a very exciting year. And the only thing I could think about that year that was, that was different, that was special, was one of the retreats we did that year we had a lot of tables set up in this room and all the people in the retreat were sitting with another person at a table and their job, you have five minutes, two and a half minutes, you share your story, two and a half minutes, you listen to their story. Then we rang the bell boom, and they switched. And so they shared their story over and over and over and over and they got to where they could share their story comfortably in two or three minutes because you have a story. Now, you may think, this is one of the things people think about evangelism and why a lot of people are afraid to get involved in it is, I don't know the Bible cover to cover. I've got to know it cover to cover. God has called you to be a witness. That means sharing your firsthand account of what Jesus has done in your life. I got news for you. In the first century, when the church of Jesus Christ was growing as fast as it ever did, exponential growth in the first century, when men and women were sharing their faith and, and, and disciples were, were, were being just, just multiplied, they didn't even have the New Testament. Think about that. You don't know the, the Bible cover to cover? Well, they didn't even have the book of Romans. And yet they were sharing their faith, and the kingdom was growing. And then the third thing, so is to pray for those three or four people that you want to think about this year. You want to see them come to know Jesus, or you at least want them to get a great opportunity to respond to Jesus. And then you practice sharing your story. I don't care if you practice sharing it in the mirror, or you practice sharing it with your small group, or your connection class, or your, or your spouse. You practice it. And then the third thing is to look for those opportunities that the Holy Spirit will set before you, and He will, on the dart train, at coffee break, on vacation, opportunities to share your story. The second thing, so that's sharing your faith. The second thing I want you to think about is plugging into a ministry in 2013. Now, let's be clear. If you are already working your fingers to the bone in, in five different ministries here at Preston Crest, I'm not talking to you. But if you're sitting there thinking, I would really like to get involved in a ministry, I really don't know where to serve at Preston Crest, decide right now, I will find that place in 2013. I will plug in. I mean, as a result of dream power, dozens of new ministry ideas have been generated. It has yet to be seen how many of them will become real, all right? How many of them are going to happen because we need leaders and we need people serving in those ministries, all right? So God may be calling you to one of those new ministries or one of the ones we, we've been working at for a long time, teaching the toddlers or, or sharing in friend speak or helping with soldier care. Every week in the bulletin, there are dozens of opportunities. I'm asking you to take the initiative to make the phone call, 
to send the email. If you don't hear back, don't quit, but to keep after it until you find your place where you're using your gifts and your heart in ministry here at Preston Christ. The third thing I want to call you into this morning is financial generosity. Financial generosity. Sounds like something a preacher would talk about at the end of year, trying to catch up with the budget, you know. But actually, it's Jesus who says, where, where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Jesus taught that your heart and your wallet are fundamentally linked. And so to get your heart right, you've got to get those two things harnessed together under the lordship of Christ. And I believe for believers, the starting point is 10%. It's a tithe. Before the old law ever came into effect, before Moses ever codified this by the power of the Holy Spirit and said, you have to give 10%, Abraham was a tither. Jacob was a tither. And after Jesus made the rules and the obligations of the Mosaic Code obsolete, he continued to talk about the tithe. You'll see it in the book of Hebrews. Or you'll see Jesus in the Gospels talking to the Pharisees and saying, you give a tenth, keep doing that. But don't forget mercy and justice. And so I want to call you to think about stepping out in 2013, if you're not tithing, and to begin tithing for the first time, and watch how God will bless you. Tell me what happens. I love to hear the, uh, an, an older gentleman came up and shared his story after first service this, this morning about how God had blessed him. He's a retired dentist, and how God had blessed him and his family through their giving of first fruits in that decision. Maybe that could be you this year. Or perhaps you are someone who tithes, and God is calling you beyond that into deeper waters to look for kingdom opportunities outside the walls of this local congregation. Organizations that need your help or causes that need your help. Um, move into those waters. I don't know specifically what your goal is for 2013, specifically what you've written down or thought about doing or, or signed up, gotten a gym membership for. I don't know, right? But I'm confident these are things that if you invest your time, your talents, and your treasure in these three things, someday you're going to have an amazing encounter with God where he puts his arm around you and says, well done, well done. You've honored me. And that will be mm, amazing to hear God say that. Amen.